Welcome to No Compromise, where faith and reason fuse in conversation. Hello, Johnny. Hello, my love. So you finally come to the end of your... Are you ready for this? JEDP Documentary Hypothesis slash Mountainball Cursed Towers slash Lewis's Essay on Modern Theology and Biblical Criticism series. Yes. <laughs> I say that we every week. We finally got to episode number eight wow. in that series. Yay! And I think that's the final episode unless something happens later, which... There is a promise that mm-hmm. there is another scholarly paper to come out on the mounted ball curse tablet. And so we'll return to it. And so we will return point. to it at that point, <laughs> I promise, yeah. my readers. Because I know they're all hanging <laughs> with bated, bated breath, breath, waiting for the next episode to come out. Waiting for the the latest news. Yes, the latest news. <laughs> which I am, I have to admit. I know you are. I'm a nerd, and <laughs> I love this stuff. Yeah. And I can't wait for the next paper to come out. And to see how the critics make fools of themselves again right. over it next time. And plus, it just gives you a, a glimpse into God. It does. It really does. Mm-hmm. And, and I don't know, I still don't know where this is going to go. Right. I tend to think that what we found out about the Mount of Ball curse tablet will ultimately be accepted by the academic community. Mm-hmm. but. It may take a while for that to happen, (laughs) which is often the case when new information comes along that shakes up the existing paradigm. That's right. But we're seeing all kinds of really fascinating things happening around us. Right. We just watched a video today about a committed scientist, committed atheist, for several generations back in his family. In his family tree. Came Mm -hmm. to Christ and recognized the truth of the Bible and of Christianity. Right. And we're seeing this happen over and over and over again in today's world. Mm -hmm. So I think God may be moving in really interesting ways. And you and I have been talking about this. Mm -hmm. We're hoping that somehow or other, we can play an important role in this, if that's God's will. And I won't say too much, but we'd like to do a no compromise. And (laughs) as we always do, tie it in with something C.S. Lewis wrote. Right. (laughs) Okay, that's coming up. Yep. I think that might be an that might end up being next week's no compromise discussion. Okay, and as always, the link to the episodes that John did on I'm not going to say it again. <laughs> <laughs> Episode number eight of right. our series that should be in the description if if you haven't had a chance to listen. Also, you and I have discussed Lewis's modern theology and biblical criticism essay here on no compromise. Yes, and that link is in the description as well. Okay, so last week we had enthusiastically started chapter one of The Everlasting Man when we really wanted to only talk about the introduction. So now we're, now we decided to finish chapter one today. Right. And since it goes along well with your current Christian Atheist series, we figured we'll just tie that in with what you talked about this past Monday. I'm not sure if we'll continue to go through The Everlasting Man or come back to it as like, as the chapters are relevant to what you're presenting in the Christian Atheist, ragweed season has hit. <laughs> so my voice We're is, yeah, so my voice is, is going. Okay, so real quick, let me just say that John has read the entire book, The Everlasting Man, for simple gifts. So if you can't read it yourself, be sure to listen to John reading it for you, especially on your morning commute to school. It's a really good read, and John's done a very good job with it. 
So we've already covered the background information on G.K. Chesterton on the introduction and even on chapter one in our previous episode last week. So we're going to finish chapter one here. And last week we ended on the point that we don't understand and we don't know. And we will always be going farther up and further in. Right. One of the central themes that we've been pushing since the Christian atheists began is that human beings are fundamentally ignorant creatures. Yeah. That is that we don't know. We are necessarily agnostic creatures. Yeah. We don't know. The best we can do is by faith hold on to something and see where it takes us. Exactly. And that is what Christianity is. And that is what science is. That is what atheism Mm -hmm. is. Human beings are faith-based creatures. We have to hold on to some sort of worldview in order to move forward. Right, right. And we have become convinced that the best worldview is the worldview that reflects Jesus Christ crucified and risen. Mm -hmm. And that's where we stand. And I'm not in any way ever going to apologize for that. Right, right. In fact, if the whole world doesn't care, you'll just go further up and further in. Farther up and farther in. Yep, and just leave all that behind. Something we recently heard from Dr. Kurt Wise in his explanation of the philosophy of science, he states that God has created all things in such a, this is not his direct words, but he created things in such a way that we will never fully understand. We can't. It's going to take an eternity, and even through eternity we can never we will always get close to it, but never. Right. And this is, again, it. that asymptotic approach right. that I have been trying to talk about right. since exactly. the beginning of the Christian atheists that we human beings were designed by God to forever seek to understand and get closer to Him, to know Him better, and because we know Him better, to love Him. And that's one thing that I, I have think- found so important, mm-hmm. so fascinating so lovable about Dr. Kurt Wise, because he says, look, let's stop playing these games of trying to tell the atheists that they're wrong, trying to tell the scientists that we're wrong, and get on with the project of understanding God, which is what we're all about. That's the project we're going to be involved in for all eternity. Right. It's almost, I said to you before, it's almost like in the last battle, C.S. Lewis's last battle. Yes. In the Chronicles of Narnia, where the, leave the dwarves in the shed. Yep. And you go Can't further. Can't for them. Right. And go further up. And farther in. Is that how it goes? I always get the two mixed up. <laughs> yeah. Which one goes within and which one goes without? I, I think it's just farther and farther. Okay. So the point is, go. Just go. Yeah. And, and just don't worry about that. Pursue God. Right. Pursue exactly. the truth. And it's the same thing. And this is something that I have been frustrated in talking to atheists about because they keep talking about pursuing this notion of truth. But if you're pursuing truth, you are pursuing God. God is truth. That's God right. is reality. And if you are pursuing it, whoever you are, Richard Dawkins, you may be mistaken about what it is you're pursuing, mm-hmm. but you are pursuing God if you're pursuing truth. Right, right, right. And when science truly seeks to find truth, it is in the process of seeking God. Exactly. Exactly. And I guess in a human level, this seeking God and and the knowledge of God, but never ever obtaining it completely. 
I guess it's kind of an analogy would kind of be like in our human relationships as a married couple. Right. We can never really know each other. Right. We always get close to knowing each other, you know, but we can never really fully know each other. Yeah, th- that's so good. Yeah. Because the more I know of Jenny, the more I want to know of right. Jenny. Right. Okay. And then that's what I was going to say next. Then it just keeps drawing you right. in further and far, farther and further. That's exactly right. Mm-hmm. And, and each and every movement that I make is designed to know you better, to know you more intimately, know you more deeply, so that I can meet your needs and recognize how deeply you meet my needs. Right. And that's exactly what we do with God. God is the ultimate resolution, the ultimate, and and we'll say it this way, the ultimate satisfaction. Right. Like T.S. Eliot said in The Journey of the Magi, the ultimate satisfaction. And that's what I seek when I seek to love you. Mm-hmm. That ultimate satisfaction, not just for me, but for right. you as well. It's like the ultimate unity that brings satisfaction, not just for me, but for us as a couple. Right. And in that sense, unifies us as one flesh, one being. And possibly why marriage the is the very bottom, right. the very, the very the foundation. structure. And why it's being torn apart so brutally. Right. And that's why Satan is attacking it like nothing else. Right. If you can undermine the very structure of the differentiation between male and female, which is the foundation of the family, Mm -hmm. then you have undermined everything. Right. It's like that fundamental relation between male and female is so fundamental that God makes it the structural foundation of everything else in life. Mm-hmm. And when we undermine that, we have undermined everything right. on which everything else is built. Right, right. Exactly. And that's what we're trying to do in this culture with the twisted, mm-hmm. inverted, evil, I will say, structure of our current ideas that is turning our world upside down. Right. Right. It's it's very disappointing in our modern day science in excluding God and, and the soul and all of that we've been talking about. It feels like it kind of feels like when you and I went to the Grand Canyon with the kids and you have the Grand Canyon stretching out with what seemed like infinity mm-hmm. before them and what were they obsessed and excited about? The squirrels. That's right. Do you remember that? <laughs> I do remember that. <laughs> We're looking at this massive canyon that overwhelms your senses, mm-hmm. and they couldn't help but be fascinated by the little squirrels running around. Yes. That was amazing to me. Yeah. And that's a really good point. And these, some of them were teenagers. Right. It's not that they were just little toddlers. Right. They were teenagers. Right. And we miss the <laughs> massiveness, the mystery of God. And we play around with these little parts. Right. Instead of looking at the mystery of the whole. Right. And this is fundamental to where we've gone wrong as a culture, I think. Yeah. And in, in excluding God, we close a whole world and a whole new view of the past, the present, the future, you know, science, everything, just everything. We, we close that door. So let's read something from Chesterton in chapter one here. 
Mm-hmm. He says, yet in his sense, these things were quite as natural when they went swiftly. And in our sense, they are quite as supernatural when they go slowly. The ultimate question is why they go at all. And anybody who really understands that question will know that it has always been and always will be a religious question, or at any rate, a philosophical or metaphysical question. Okay, so this is actually fantastic. Mm -hmm. When I was thinking about beginning again this week, Mm -hmm. I started a little farther back than what you just jumped us into. And Chesterton said this, nobody can imagine how nothing could turn into something. Right. And we have to remember that for me, I studied Jean-Paul Sartre's being and nothingness. nothingness. That's right. Right. Mm-hmm. This notion of nothing and the importance of nothing in our understanding, which was right. central to Sartre's understanding of the world and being in nothingness. Yeah. It's but like- Sartre was also building on the Hegelian notion mm-hmm. of being and nothingness. And also, that was building on the very Christian notion of creation ex nihilo. God creates the universe from nothing. From Mm -hmm. nothing. Mm -hmm. And Chesterton is here pointing to the essential mystery of that point. Right. How can something come from nothing? Mm -hmm. And that is the fundamental metaphysical question. Right, right, right. Why is there something? rather than nothing. Right. And there's no good answer to this question, <laughs> scientifically speaking. Right. And you've seen it from Science every- cannot determine the answer to that question. Right. And, and you've studied it philosophically, right. scientifically, and theologically. Right. And the problem is, if you're going to answer that question, science can't answer it. Right. Science can point us to the data. Mm-hmm. And then at the data, we have to say, okay, how can we understand this data? And then we engage our rational structures and we provide different ways of understanding that data, right? right? Is it possible that everything has existed for all time and that there is no creation ex nihilo? Okay, but why is that notion, that existence has been in existence mm-hmm. for eternity any different from postulating the notion of god of eternity of eternity <laughs> of being right right god is being exactly that is the central christian judeo christian message right god right. is the source right and the reality of being exactly exactly and so science if it wants to postulate an eternal being from which everything else came, that is an eternal, non-created, fully existent being from which everything else sprang. Logos. The Logos Mm -hmm. is a God. Mm -hmm. And so that leads us back to God. Right. And I would argue that no matter how you parse it out, there is something that you are believing in yeah, that's what I was going to come that back to. to a God. Right. It comes back to faith. <laughs> and this is what Chesterton makes the point of here. He says, it is really far more logical to start by saying, in the beginning, God created heaven and earth. Even if you only mean 
in the beginning, some unthinkable power began some unthinkable process. This is not material, And not even unthinkable, maybe ununderstandable. Yeah. You just can't understand it. You can't understand it. And so and you start he with, makes that exact point. For he mm-hmm. says, for God is by its nature a name of mystery. Right. And you just have to go forward in faith. And there's no way of getting right. around the mystery. Right. We don't know. Right. Exactly. And as soon as you recognize that, and this is one of the things that trips everyone up who wants to be a materialist scientist, they want to think that they know. They don't know. And But but you understand that because that's what the journey that took you away from God yes. is you thought you could know. Right. It, you could know everything. Right. And then you found out. You found out it was an asymptote. Right. Right. That the best we can do is continually approach the truth. Right. But that the truth constantly evades us because it's so much bigger than us. We are fundamentally limited, finite creatures. Which is very exciting. It is exciting Uh because that means that we have an eternal journey in front of us. So we're not going to discover it. We're not going to be sitting around in the clouds playing harps. And this was (laughs) as for me when I when I when I left Christianity. I thought to myself, "What is this eternal state that they talk about? That doesn't sound very interesting to me. Sitting around, you know, in heaven." being happy all the time. Mm -hmm. No, it seemed to me as though the search, the seeking, was fundamental to what it is to be a human being. Exactly. To be a limited creature who is constantly seeking. And this made me so excited because we've watched the video by Kurt Wise in these last few weeks Mm -hmm. that he talks about too. And I haven't heard many other people talk about this. This ongoing, exciting discovery, unending, eternal discovery and search for the being of God to understand him. Right, exactly. And that is the excitement of heaven. Right, right. right? And that is the further up and farther, farther up and farther in of Mm -hmm. C.S. Lewis in the last battle. Right. Because you were never a harp player, right? No. <laughs> you were never- Nobody's going to want to listen to me play a harp or anything For else. <laughs> and then it makes me think, is it going to be like geared towards the never-ending knowledge of whatever you're interested in? Because some people are interest- not interested in science. They're interested in music. So right. is it going to be a never-ending right. music Right. journey and, for and them and a never-ending science and never-ending philosoph- philosophical journey for you. <laughs> for me, yeah. And there is that <laughs> fundamental uniqueness. Mm-hmm. That's what I mean. Is it individual? And, and then it goes back to Jesus said, I prepared a house for you. Right. For you. Right. For each individual human and being it takes into who consideration. is created in the image of God, that is, they are a reflection of the nature of God himself. Right. And in pursuing that nature, they contribute to the full nature of God being explicated, being glorified, right. being understood. Right. All of that, that beautiful mosaic that we can't understand and never will yeah. fully understand. The, the mosaic that is 
like the Human. unfolding beauty of a piece of music but that I mean, never ends. The mosaic of human. Of humanity. Yeah. Right. God's greatest creation. Because it's one of my favorite things to see is to see sometimes they have these images of a mosaic of all these human people, just mm -hmm. faces. And they're so tiny, but they're and they make up a huge And each one is unique. But at this point right now I think to myself, you know, how sin has really destroyed it all. Mm -hmm. But imagine if there was no sin and each one of those people and their stories and going forward in 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 eternity right with their individual personality how exciting that would be yeah and we were just talking to a daughter today <laughs> about the story uh -huh. of each individual human being right and how god is making the broader story mm -hmm. of himself right with each individual story of each individual human being there is this broad mosaic that God is putting together right. and weaving in such a way to create beauty beyond imagination right. for all eternity. Right. And each story is just as important as every other story. That's right. Yes. I wouldn't say important, but just as valuable because each story is unique. That's right. Each person's personality is so unique. Yeah. Makes me think again about my, <laughs> I don't want to say desire goal or, or anything. I want to say just, I always, thought to myself it would be interesting to just go around the country and listen to people's stories write them yes. down you know yeah, take talked about this with me yeah before. yeah because it's so interesting everybody's so in everybody's so interesting they are mm -hmm. yep and yet so often we get stultified mm -hmm. and don't seek after god we get caught up in these little feedback loops yeah. that make us boring yeah well, we and, think we are. Yeah. Well, and I think oftentimes even the church causes us to be <laughs> like caught up in these feedback we do. loops. Traditional. That get us nowhere. I don't want to say they traditional. They don't take us farther up and farther right. in. They take us at the same level over right. and over and over again. Right. And that's true. Yeah. And then on earth, you know, now each personality eventually dies and, and the memories and everything who they are dies you know physically here on earth but imagine all of that going on into eternity mm -hmm. forever who you are the person mm -hmm. you are going into eternity forever yep you know and and it does right and how valuable that would be eternity each is person not separated by the mm -hmm. temporal right eternity incorporates the temporal right and the story of each individual person becomes a part of the full story exactly that's going on. exactly Okay, so let's go on. Chesterton then goes on to introduce the caveman, and he tells the story of a priest and a boy who went into a cave and discovered cave paintings. And this, <laughs> everything he says here reminded me of the, um, how, how do you say it, John? Lascaux? Lascaux cave paintings? I think it's the Lascaux. Okay. Um, and the Lascaux cave drawings that were absolutely unbelievable when they discovered them in the 1800s. The artistic, you have to look them up. It's spelled L-A-S-C-A-U-X. We'll try to put a, a link in the um, in the description because they are absolutely amazing what they did. They are, <laughs> they're beyond what a caveman should be doing. But anyway, Chesterton makes this point. He, he tells the story of a priest, like I said, who 
and a boy who went into a cave and discovered cave paintings. And as I said, this reminded me of that, but I don't think he was referring to this. Anyway, so he says, but this is not the point about the pictures or the particular moral here to be drawn from them. The moral is something much larger and simpler, so large and simple that when it is first stated, it will sound childish. And indeed, it is in the highest sense childish. And that is why I have in this apologue, in some sense, seen it through the eyes of a child. It is the biggest of all the facts really facing the boy in the cavern, and it is perhaps too big to be seen. If the boy was one of the flock of the priest, it may be presumed that he had been trained in a certain quality of common sense, that common sense that often comes to us in the form of tradition. In that case, he would simply recognize the primitive man's work as the work of a man, interesting but in no way incredible in being primitive. He would see what was there to see, and he would not be tempted into seeing what was not there by any evolutionary excitement or fashionable speculation. Right. So Chesterton says, Yeah. The more we really look at man as an animal, the less he will look like one. Mm -hmm. In fact, people have been interested in everything about the caveman, except what he did <laughs> in, the cave. in the cave. That's right. <laughs> the old epic poets at least knew how to tell a story, possibly a tall story, but never a twisted story. Never a story tortured out of its own shape to fit theories and philosophies right. invented centuries afterwards. <laughs> so, as you said, this boy and the priest went down into the cave. And Chesterton says, I'm more concerned with the boy than the priest yeah. in this. Because the boy looks at the cave and he sees the pictures painted by the person who painted them as pictures mm -hmm. painted by a boy like himself. Right, right. That is, they see the evident, yeah. not some theory that was created about the evidence. Which is the trend at the time, whatever right. the trend at the time is. Which yeah. is what the JEDP theory, right. what the higher critics, what the current view of the world as created in a left-brained, hyper-rationalistic, atheistic worldview mm -hmm. on the Hegelian understanding, that basic structural notion that has eliminated from the human psyche, right. some of the most basic information yeah. that we experience that we've called the evident in our series, The Evident Evidence and Faith. Right. The basic phenomenological data that Jean-Paul Sartre would talk about, that Edmund Husserl would talk about, the things that we experience at the most basic level as a human being when we experience the world, mm -hmm. those things are the fundamentals right. that the boy would see right. in the cave. Right. He would see a person like himself. And this flies in the face of all of the theories that have mm. been put in place right. exactly. to explain this phenomena. And instead, it sees what is really there. Right. Sort of like the woman, he, Chesterton says about the woman who says, I wonder if it was the, the cave was a crush 
and the pictures were just for right. <laughs> to take care of the. It of was babies. a nurse with nursery pictures, a nursery picture, <laughs> yeah. right? To keep the babies. But then Chesterton adds, and I think this is the idea of how we all come with some sort of presupposition to the experiments, the observations, the data that always affects the analysis. He says, "But suppose the boy had not been taught by a priest, but by a professor." By John Weiss. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> By one of the professors who simplify the relation of men and beasts to a mere evolutionary variation. Suppose the boy saw himself with the same simplicity and sincerity as mere Mowgli running with a pack of nature and roughly indistinguishable from the rest save by a relative and recent variation. What would be for him the simplest lesson of that strange stone picture book? What would you say? I... I'm a Christian, with the searching and skeptical mind of an atheist. I don't want to believe anything that isn't true. I know both sides of the looking glass, and I know them with open eyes. I choose Christ's side. I invite you to join me from wherever you stand before the looking glass. That's this week's episode. Thanks for listening, and remember... You can have your religious cake and eat it too. You can have reason, respect for science, a 21st century worldview, and be a Christian. <laughs>